0: Gospel with a capital G is a title of a type of writing, and we have four of those, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so sometimes we'll talk about the gospel or the gospels, and we simply mean the first four books of the New Testament. It's just that when you talk, you can't really, you can't say gospel in a way that people catch the capital G. So sometimes, I mean, I guess you could say the GOSPEL. And then be like, oh, that was a capital G. I don't know. I don't know how you would do that. But when you write, you can do that more easily or more readily. So in your writing, if you write about the gospel, if you write a capital G, you mean the title of one of these four books. If you write a small G, you mean the actual gospel. I know it's kind of counterintuitive. You think capital G means the big gospel. Anyway, not important. Not even in my notes. So as we've read... (coughs) Luke doesn't even claim that, you know, he's the first to do this. In fact, it would sound like Luke's not even saying that these four are the only ones, doesn't it? It sounds like there were a few people who wrote something. He says there were many. Many isn't three. Like, many is more than three. Even in Greek, many is more than three. And so there were lots of people who wrote things about the life of Christ. And that shouldn't shock us. I mean, that, that sounds like a pretty normal thing. If Jesus is who he says he is, and he did the things that we have read about him doing, it seems like quite a few people would be like, I got to write this down. Like, I want to make sure my kids know about it. I want to make sure my grandkids hear about this. And so there would have been many people who have written things down. And just because they're not inspired gospel writings by the Holy Spirit, that doesn't make them false. I mean, you can be historically true and not be inspired. Like, I, I can say things that are true all day, but they're not inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so, it's, it, we don't have to wonder, oh, well, those must have all been lies, and we only have, the only four writings that remain are the only things that were true. Well, that doesn't, we don't need it to go in that direction. And so... What we have here is Luke's account. He says, it seemed it seemed good to me to also write something. And so we want to figure out, well, why? Why did Luke specifically want to write something? And he gives us some clues to this. So we'll get Luke's background a little bit. And then we're going to look at it and see, even in these four four verses, one sentence, by the way, in Greek, in these four verses, we start to pick up a little bit of Luke's style and what we can expect in the in the Gospel of Luke. And then we're going to see Luke's purpose, because he tells us right here why he wrote this account of Jesus Christ. So first, we look at Luke's background, and we might say three things about Luke and his background that we can learn, actually, all three of these from Scripture. First of all, one we've already touched on, Luke was a committed friend of Paul's. Uh, Second, we learn that... uh, Luke was a physician, uh, a a doctor of sorts. And then third, we learn that most likely Luke was not Jewish. Luke was a Gentile. And all of these things we can learn from Scripture. And so first, let's look at this. Luke was a committed friend of Paul's. So in, in 2 Timothy 4, I think it's in verse 9, Paul is writing from prison. This is likely the last letter chronologically of Paul's. So he is in prison now for the second time, uh, and he is writing uh, likely uh, the last letter at least that we have. And he's writing to Timothy, a young man that he had trained who's now a pastor And he says to Timothy, beginning in verse 9 of 2 Timothy 4, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus... Uh, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. So, so we're told here that so some folks have left because they've deserted Paul. Some have left because Paul has a larger view of the kingdom than just his own comfort. And so he sent partners out, hey, go to these towns, go to these churches, go and help them, go serve them. And he says, Luke Alone is with me. So this is the second and final imprisonment of Paul. He'll like he, this is at the end of this imprisonment, it ends because he's executed. And at the end of his life, Luke alone is still with him. In fact, there are other letters written from prison from his first imprisonment. And again, we learn that Luke is with him when he is imprisoned the first time. In Colossians 4:14. 4, He says, Luke greets you. Actually, he says more than that. Luke wasn't just a committed friend. We also learned that Luke was a physician because in Colossians 4.14, Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. And so, Luke was an educated man. I mean, he had an eye and an ear and a mind for details. Uh, he picked up on things. He'll describe things in different ways than than other gospel writers would describe things. And so, even when there's uh, overlap in in accounts, Luke's details will add uh, some depth to what we read about some of these accounts. Luke was a physician, and we should expect that to to have an impact. He's he's again, as I said, he's educated. That's why we get this first. These first four verses are one Greek sentence intentionally put together to introduce this gospel. But third, I say he's a Gentile. Why why do we think that Luke was a Gentile? And so one clue that we have is from Colossians 4, again. So in the end of all of Paul's letters, he writes and he says, you know, say hi to this guy, this person says hello, pass along these greetings, he gives all these instructions. So in Colossians 4, verse 10, Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. So there's another prisoner there with him. Uh, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom uh, you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. So again, Mark is with him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, uh, he's also with him. So these three guys, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice. Uh, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So in other words, he says, here's these three guys. They say hello. These are the only men of the circumcision who are with me right now. In other words, these are the only Jewish fellows with me. They are fellow Jews. They are... They are my countrymen, and these are the ones who are with me. They say hello. But then he goes on in his greeting. In verses 12 to 14, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayer, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Herapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. So he introduces, so he's got six people that he's saying, hey, these folks are with me. He has them broken into two categories. These three are the only of the circumcision. These three also greet you. And so from that we gather that Luke, along with Epaphras and Demas, were not Jewish. They were Gentiles. Demas is the one that he mentions, by the way, in 2 Timothy, when he says, Demas has left me, swayed by the world. So Luke uh, is a Gentile. He's a physician, and he's a close friend of Paul's. By his own admission, Luke is not an eyewitness. Luke did not meet Jesus Christ face-to-face, and yet he lived in a time when he could have had he been there, and so he can describe these things as these are the things that took place while we were here. Luke wrote his gospel account probably somewhere in the mid-60s, and so you're talking about a gospel account That's a mere 30 years after Jesus' life and ministry. And so there would be eyewitnesses still around. Luke himself wasn't one, but he had access to eyewitnesses. He knew people who had interactions. So like Luke was a companion of Paul's, we know that John Mark was a companion of Peter's. And so while John Mark is not listed as an apostle. It's possible that John Mark actually was present for some of Jesus' ministry. In fact, in some of those passages that talk about uh, the arrest, when it talks about a young man like running away naked because they grabbed his cloak, uh, it's possible that was John Mark himself because we only hear some of these details in his gospel writing. But to say Luke is a Gentile, it doesn't mean that we're saying that he was an outsider to the Jewish religion. Uh, We read the Gospel of Luke and we see in it someone who had a firm understanding of Old Testament uh, Jewish worship of the law, of the sacrifices. He understood these things. And there were, there were two categories of Gentiles, two ways that you could uh, be a worshiper of the one true God, the God of the Bible. You could be what was called a God-fearer. And this was a Gentile who worshipped God, who perhaps came uh, to synagogues, who would go to the Gentile areas of the, the temple. Who would, who would take part in and read and understand and realize and know that the God of the Old Testament, the God of Israel, is the one true God, the only God, the creator of heaven and earth, and they would worship. There were also what was called proselytes. This would be a Gentile who embraced everything about Judaism to such a level that they themselves became Jewish. They would be circumcised. They would have their their young sons all circumcised. They would live according to all of the, the cleanliness rules and all of the rituals. They would take part in all of that. So, it seems that Luke was most likely a God-fearer, not a proselyte, because he's not categorized by Paul as one of the circumcision. And that was a major mark uh, of whether you were a God-fearer or a proselyte, whether you would receive circumcision. So, we're not saying that Luke doesn't know God or didn't know God, but that he came to God as a Gentile. So he's not an eyewitness, but he has access to eyewitnesses, specifically to the apostles. This explains why Luke has some details that other gospel writers don't. Now, I mean, obviously, Matthew and John had had all of this information, but Luke as a physician, he wanted to get to the bottom of things. He wanted to find out what happened from the beginning. Luke alone tells us about the announcements to Zechariah and to Mary. Luke alone tells us about John the Baptist's birth. Luke alone gives us all of these details. And so this brings us to some of Luke's style. Why does Luke tell us some of the things that he tells us? Luke tells us that he, uh, the things that he's telling us, even in this first sentence, he says, what you're about to read is historically accurate, carefully researched, and logically organized. And so, again, remember, Luke is writing only about 30 years after these things took place. It's important that what he writes be historically accurate because there were people still alive who could say, that never happened. What are you talking about? He never did that writing so close to the time when folks were still around, when folks would remember these things and saying, hey, here's, a go- here's an account of what happened in the life of this man, Jesus. People could verify, they could confirm or deny that these things happened. He had to be historically accurate. But it's more than just a record of stuff that happened He says that this is is a record of things that have been accomplished. And so Luke isn't just writing a history. he's He's writing a history of things that have been accomplished, things that someone did intentionally. He is writing for us to tell us this accomplished the will of God. Again, Luke admits that he he's not the first person to write down these things about Jesus and his work. Um, and so Luke speaks to the eyewitnesses and he speaks to the ministers of the word. Eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, ministers of the word referring to the apostles themselves. Those who were entrusted, uh, even commissioned and empowered by Jesus To be uh, the ministers of this gospel message, Luke would have access to them, but not just them, also other disciples, disciples of Jesus Christ, followers. Again, remember, a disciple isn't a lot of times we say disciple and we mean the 12 disciples, but a disciple is anyone, anywhere, ever, who follows Christ. You and I are disciples. There were more disciples than apostles. Apostles were disciples. Not all the disciples were apostles. Luke says that he's been following these things closely in this sentence. Literally, he says, I've been following these things accurately. So he's, he's, he's being very intentional about the things that he includes, the things that he doesn't include. Some of what he records, as I said, we find in other accounts of the gospel. Other things are found only in Luke. Some of the teachings. But again, well, let me just back up to the the things that we find in Luke, even the stories. It, It points to eyewitness accounts. Because some of the things he wouldn't know unless someone who was there told him. Like Luke tells us a few times about Mary's thoughts on an issue. She treasured things in her heart. She watched and pondered. She had feelings. Do you ever wonder, how does Luke know about the, the, the fiasco in the temple when Jesus is 12? I mean, can you imagine you are entrusted... With caring for the Messiah of the world, and you lost him for three days in Jerusalem. Like that's, that's embarrassing. (laughs) That's not something that like anyone would ever know unless you told them. Like the embarrassing things that make you shudder at night, then you wonder how your kids survived those stories and everyone has them uh, people don't know about those stories unless you decide to tell them like I raised Ray into a ceiling fan once when she was like an infant and the only thing that stopped me from going farther was the weird sound when I raised her of a I was like oh my goodness I'm gonna this is gonna be great we should have more of these I'm really good at this so and here she is see she's fine she walks straight everything's fine (laughs) We don't tell these things unless, like, no, you don't know these things about anyone unless they admit to them. Luke had an opportunity to sit and talk with Mary and hear some of these things that other people wouldn't have heard. Some of the teachings that Luke gives us, they're only found in Luke. Some of the most famous teachings that we have of Jesus, we only have them in Luke. The Pharisee and the tax collector coming into the temple to pray. Lazarus and the rich man, the good Samaritan. These are things that we know these stories and realize, and we just assume, oh, well, they're in all four gospels. Actually, they're all only in Luke. The, the wayward son and what seemed to be the good son. All of these just in Luke. Luke says he wanted to give an orderly account. And he's not saying that, like, the other Gospels are random. He's just saying that there's an intentionality behind how he organized it. It doesn't mean that everything he's writing is in a strict chronological order, but that the order he put has purpose. Luke alone records for us what we would call uh, the, the journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. And it takes up about 10 chapters of Luke. From chapter nine, the end of chapter nine to through the middle of chapter 19, we get this statement at the end of chapter nine that says uh, from that moment, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem and began to walk. And we hear throughout this these 10 chapters on his on the road, on the journey to Jerusalem. And it's all of this. And it's a major chunk of Jesus' teaching in this section on his road from Galilee to Jerusalem. And so in one sense, we could, we could organize or see that he organized his, his book, his, his account, beginning with introductions and preparation for ministry in the first four chapters, and then uh, the, Jesus' ministry in Galilee, and then Jesus' journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, and then Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem, which includes his, his death and his resurrection. I like how Luke is at least kind enough to tell us his purpose in the first sentence. Like if ever? I don't know if you've read through John, but if you read through the gospel according to John, you have to go all the way to chapter 20 to find out what John's purpose was. John says in John 20, verse 30, he says, Now Jesus did other signs in the presence of the disciples. John's saying this because uh, John only records seven miracles. So he also is very intentional about what he records. But he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. John says, my purpose in writing is so that you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you can have life in his name. But he doesn't tell you that for 20 chapters. Now, Luke tells us right at the beginning. Why is he writing this? That you, verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Okay, so now you're like, dude, you just skipped over Theophilus. So we'll just back up real quick. Theophilus, who is this? Is this a real person? It's just a made-up name. Those are some of the theories. So because Theophilus means loved by God. And so is this an actual person named loved by God? Some would say, no, it's just, uh, he's just kind of writing real fancy, saying, this is for you, loved by God. Uh, and so it's for all of us who are loved by God. The only problem is, like, people had names like that back then. And he gives him this pretty official court title, Most Excellent Theophilus. Uh, I think it's Felix in Acts who has that same title, uh, Paul says to him, most excellent Felix. So it's an actual title for a person. I think it is a person. I don't think it matters because he's dead. I mean, Theophilus isn't around anymore. We don't have to worry about that. Uh, But I think it's written to an actual person who actually was loved by God, who was a follower, who had been taught these things, and Luke said, "I'm writing these so that you can have more certainty about what you've been taught." And I think it's helpful that's to an actual person, because you, perhaps, are loved by God. Perhaps you're new to the Christian faith. And you have some doubts. You have some questions. Maybe you're really old in the Christian faith, and you always have. Doubts, questions. Maybe you're looking still on the outside in on the Christian faith and you just you have some doubts. You have some questions. Luke is saying this book would be really helpful for you. Because you can know with certainty. That these things are true. And I'm going to write these things down for you. This book is written so that you can know with certainty who Jesus is, why he came, and what it looks like to follow him. Does your faith sometimes feel more like a trembling, I sure hope this is true, rather than a Martin Luther, here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. Luke says, These, what I have written, this can help you. You can you can have certainty about who you trust, who you are following. Do you wonder at times where God is in the midst of struggle and trial and suffering and loss? Luke writes this so that you can know that Jesus is the one sent because God remembers His covenant, because God keeps His promises. Do you feel overwhelmed by your sin, by your uncleanness before a holy God? Luke is written so that you can know that Jesus, the son of God, is the friend of sinners. He loves to hang out with sinners. Do you feel too far removed from God by your choices and actions and decisions? Luke is written so that you know that Jesus is the seeker of and finder of lost souls. Do you feel broken and permanently damaged by your sin? Luke is written so that you can know that Jesus is the gentle healer. He is the Savior. And we receive assurance of this because of the accurate intentional, orderly account that Luke writes here of Jesus Christ. It's exciting. I think next week we'll do more than one sentence, though. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the witnesses to the life and teaching, and death, and resurrection of your Son, our Savior. Men and women who saw and believed and shared so that we might believe. God, would you use your word to give us certainty about the things that you have taught us, concerning Christ, concerning your love for us, concerning our sin and our need for a Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.